Take your Bible to and turn to Isaiah, and we're going to look at chapter 63, and we're about to run out of chapters. How about that? But we've got uh, today and three more Sundays that will be in the book of Isaiah, and I have thoroughly enjoyed this series. In the late 1950s and the early 1960s, there was a popular television program across America called Father Knows Best. Does anybody remember that? Does anybody remember? Maybe you've seen reruns. I don't know. But the star of the program were the parents. They were played by Robert Young and Jane Wyatt. And their family was the Andersons. They were a middle-class family that lived in Springfield. We don't know what state, but it was in the Midwest part of America. And they demonstrated what a normal middle-class family looked like in the United States of America just about a decade or so after World War II. The father was the leader. He had a job. He loved his family. The mother was primarily a homemaker who loved her children and her husband. The father and the mother adored each other, and they were faithful to each other. They loved their children. They taught them right from wrong, even disciplined them when they did wrong. Oh, can you even imagine that? The children honored and respected and obeyed their parents, and it was one of the most popular programs of that day. Sadly, to my knowledge, there's nothing like that on television in our day. Most men on TV today are portrayed as either being overbearing, immoral, foul-mouthed drunks, or the complete opposite, effeminate sissies, wimpy men. Rarely will you see a godly, normal, masculine man in good light on television. That's because Hollywood hates biblical Christianity, hates the biblical view of the family. Our pagan culture despises biblical masculinity. Husbands and fathers, our culture despises the thought of women being ladylike homemakers the role models of the 1950s and the 1960s are taboo today. And what's the result? What does a society reap when it ridicules and rebels against biblical masculinity and femininity? Answer, broken homes, rebellious children, sexual immorality, gender confusion, disdain for biblical authority, and higher crime rates. We've come a long way, baby, but we're going in the wrong direction, and we need to turn around. You know what that means? We need to repent. Every Christian, thankfully, has a perfect father. I'm talking about the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, our Father, always knows best about everything. And that's what Isaiah 63 
is all about. God the Father knows best. Let's say that together. God the Father knows best. First of all, God the Father knows best, and He will destroy our enemies. This is a very graphic section of Scripture where God Almighty comes against the enemies of His people and sentences them to a bloody death. The watchman that we looked at and heard talk last week in Isaiah 62, the watchman on the wall is speaking here. He saw someone coming toward Jerusalem from the land of the Edomites. He was having a hard time identifying who it was. Look at verse 1. Who is this who comes from Edom with garments of glowing colors from Basra? Basra is the capital of Edom. This one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. And then that person answers, it is I who speak in righteousness mighty to save. That should give you an idea who this is that's coming toward the watchman. The watchman saw someone walking from Edom towards Jerusalem. Now, I believe we have a map. I want to show you what I'm talking about. Right in the middle, you'll see the kingdom in the blue of Israel. Below that, you'll see the kingdom of Judah. That's where Jerusalem is. And then to the left, you'll see the Philistines. To the right, across the Dead Sea, you'll see the kingdom of Moab. But just below it, you'll see the kingdom of Edom. Now, what would happen is this. Because of the geography in Israel, most always when Israel's enemies attacked them, they attacked from the north, up by Damascus in the green area right in there the Phoenician area up on the other side. And they would come down upon them from the north. So Israel, if they tried to flee from their enemies, would have to go through the south. And who would they have to go through? Edom. But Edom would stop them, and all of a sudden God's people were sandwiched between two armies. And so God goes to Edom in our text, and He destroys many of the Edomites because they would not let his people flee when they were in trouble. Okay? That's the context of Isaiah 63. So this watchman sees the Lord, and the Lord is robed with red because of the blood that has stained his garments. Look at verse 2. Why is your apparel red? Why are your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? And here's the Lord's answer, verse 3. I have trodden the wine trough alone, and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger. We don't think about God like that, do we? God does get angry. Did you know that? I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. We don't talk about God's wrath. All we want to hear about is His mercy. 
and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I stained all my raiment. Why don't we ever hear anything about like that, about God? The Lord was coming from Edom. Edom means red. The Lord's garments were red with blood. He had trampled the armies of the Edomites. They had attacked Israel. They wouldn't let Israel flee from the north. And the armies that were coming against them, they stopped them. And they shed the blood of the Israelites. And the Bible says, if you shed blood, your blood will be shed. And that's exactly what the Edomites reaped. The Edomites hated Israel. They refused to let them pass through. Verse 4, for the day of vengeance was in my heart. Did you know there's a day of reckoning coming? Did you know there's a day of vengeance coming? You don't have to fear any person. If somebody comes against you because you're a Christian, you shouldn't be mad at them. You should pity them. A day of vengeance is coming. The day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. I looked, and there was no one to help. Verse 5, I was astonished. There was no one to uphold. So my own arm, God said, I'll just take matters into my own hands, brought salvation to me, and my wrath upheld me. I trod down the peoples, that's talking about the Edomites, in my anger and made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Now, God is not only a God of mercy. We live on this side of the cross, and we don't like to hear this stuff about God's wrath. But God is a God of wrath. He loves every sinner, but our God hates sin. He despised the sins of the Edomites. They refused to help his people. And the Lord became Edom's enemy. He destroyed Israel's enemies, the Edomites. Now, what's the background of the Edomites? Two brothers, twins, that were born fighting even when they came out of the womb. If you don't believe two little boys will fight each other, just go read about Esau and Jacob. Read in verse chapters in Genesis 27 through 31. I mean, they were born fighting. They had hold each other. They were grabbing. They were hitting on each other when they got born. I'm not making this up. It's in your Bible, all right? They were twins. Isaac and Rebekah were their parents. Isaac favored Esau. Now, you say, oh, you're not supposed to favor kids. Well, Isaac favored Esau because he was a hunter, and he would hunt game, and he would bring it back to him. That's a great way to, reason to love your child, is it not? And I don't know how else to say it. Jacob was a guy that just stayed around the house. He didn't like to go hunting. And his mother, Rebecca, favored him. So you got that dynamic going on, and Jacob was deceitful, and he wound up stealing. His brother Esau was born first, so he would have the, the birthright and the blessing, and Jacob stole both of those from him. You'll just have to read about it. 
I don't have time to talk about it. But it made Esau so mad, he said, I'm going to kill Jacob. Well, their mother found out about it. Rebecca found out about it. And she said, Jacob, you need to leave town for a while. Go to my parents' house and to my original home. Go up to Badan, Iram, and go to my relative Laban, and he'll take care of you until Esau's anger subsides. And so Jacob left. He goes to Padan Aram. He meets his mother's brother Laban. He winds up marrying two of Laban's daughters, Leah and Rachel. They have concubines. And that's where the 12 tribes of Israel come from. I'm giving you a little bit of a lecture today besides a sermon, all right? And so with these two concubines and Leah and Rachel, obviously it's not of God's original purpose, but God takes sinful situations and turns them into something good. So here's the 12 tribes of Israel are going to come from these 12 children, these 12 boys born to not only Leah and Rachel, but to two of their concubines. And so after 20 years of exhausting labor to his father-in-law, Jacob says, I want to go back home. I'm leaving. And he leaves. And as he goes, he gets word that Esau, who he has not seen in 20 years, is still mad at him. How many of you know that when you hold a grudge, it burns and burns and burns unless you give it to the Lord. Does anybody know that? You got to give it to the Lord. Esau didn't give it to the Lord. So Jacob hears about it. He's scared to death. He knows that Esau has been holding on to that anger for all these years. He knows he's about to die. So he did what you would expect Jacob to do. He sent everybody else ahead of him. <laughs> all of his kids, all of his wives, all of his flocks. And he goes down by a little stream and the angel of the Lord appears to him. It might've been Jesus. It might've just been one of the angels that was guard over Israel. We don't know. I believe personally it was the pre-incarnate Jesus. And the Bible says that they wrestled. Some of you have wrestled with God. I got news for you. He's going to win. And all he had to do to win was just touch his thigh. It's very interesting. You read in, in Hebrews 11, he limped the rest of his life because the Bible says he died leaning on his staff. The Bible says he touched him. You, some of y'all want to say, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. Well, sometimes he touches you and you limp the rest of your life. Amen? You better watch out how God touches you, all right? And he touched him and he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he blessed him. He touched him. He crippled him, but he blessed him at the same time. And by the time he saw Esau, Esau had forgiven him and they fell in each other's arms. But in time, their descendants would hate each other. Edom which is Esau, Edom, the red-headed guy. Red is Edom. They hated the Israelites. That's what's going on in our 
text. And God says, now this may be way too much for you, about Edom and Israel, Malachi 1, verses 2 and 3, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, I have loved Israel, but I have hated Esau. He hated Esau's sins. That's what he hated. God destroyed his children's enemies. I want to ask you now, you say, what's the application? Okay, here it is. Christian, have you got any enemies? Not because you were negative or sinful, but do you have just enemies because you love the Lord Jesus Christ? I know of people in this church who have family members that don't like them because they love Jesus Christ, they come to Bellevue, they believe the Bible, and they believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation, and their parents and their other relatives just hate them because they believe fully in Jesus. You say, you don't really know people like that. Yes, I do. They're in this room today. Some of you have relatives that hate you because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you've got people at work that make fun of you because you love the Lord Jesus Christ, because you won't get drunk with them, because you won't walk with them the way they want to walk. I was on the airplane recently with people who looked like they were so into sin. There are people today that are Wiccans. There are people today that are warlocks. There are people today who are Satanists and they love Satan and they hate Jesus and they hate his church. And I'm telling you, you've got to decide which side are you going to be on. If someone hates you, look at me, Forgive them in the name of Jesus. Pray for them on a regular basis and start rejoicing in the Lord. You say, where in the world do you get that? From Jesus. Jesus said, blessed are those who have been persecuted. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. For the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When you see people that look like they don't love Jesus, love them. They need love. Be kind to them. Don't be ugly to them. Pray over them. Pray for them. And if you are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're never more like Jesus than when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Rejoice in the Lord when people persecute you. Why? Because God will pay back your enemies. If anything needs to be avenged, God will do it. Romans 12, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what's right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge. Say that with me. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. There it is, for it is written, I, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. It's exactly what Jesus said. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't overcome 
Be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If people come against you, just do good to them and just realize God is the judge. You're not. And he will, in his time, if they don't repent, will destroy our enemies. Number two, God the Father knows best. He delights in our obedience. Look at verses 7 through 9. God delights in our obedience. Verse 7, I will, shall make mention of the loving kindnesses, kindnesses, that's hard to say, of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which He has granted them according to His compassion and his, according to the abundance of His loving kindness. Now, God goes from disciplining and destroying our enemies to delighting in our obedience. He goes from one end to the other. Immediately after he spoke about his wrath coming upon the enemies of God's people, he talks about God's love coming upon his people. I shall mention of the loving kindnesses of the Lord. Whatever word that is in your Bible, underline it. It's the Hebrew word hesed, and it means the tender, loving, gracious care of Almighty God. It's like, the, it's like a, the love of a mother for her baby. It is hesed. It is loving kindness. It is a beautiful Hebrew word. And Isaiah praised the Lord for how he loved his people Israel, all he had granted them. Oh, Lord, he said, I, the great goodnesses toward the house of Israel. And you've punished our enemies, but you have given us great goodness. You have granted Israel the great goodness according to your compassion and your loving kindness, your hesed. Verse 8, and he said, surely they are my people, sons who will not deal falsely. So he became their Savior. And then one of the greatest verses in all the Bible, much less the book of Isaiah is verse 9. Here's one to memorize. Here's a good one, verse 9. Let's read it together. Read it with me off the screen, would you please? In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them, and he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. Can I have an amen? amen. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. When the Edomites would not let those Israelites out through the south, God felt their pain. When the enemies were coming from the north, God felt their pain. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. He suffered with them. He felt every critical negative deed and word leveled against them. He felt every spear that went through their bodies and the passing of their souls into heaven. In all their affliction, God was afflicted. And the angel of his presence, that might be Christ, it might be Michael, the archangel, we don't know. I personally think it was Christ. And the angel of his presence saved them. Jesus is the Savior, is he not? In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. He bought them back. 
He gave them redemption. He paid the sin debt and allowed them to go free. And after the Lord forgave them, he carried them in his arms. He lifted them and carried them all the days of old. I got news for you. You're not holding on to Jesus. He's holding on to you. You're not walking on your own. He's carrying you. It may feel like you're walking, but he's got you in his arms. He's holding on to you. He delights in our obedience. When we lived in Alabama, our children were young. And uh, I've often thought if I ever had told those four little children how many babies they were going to have, they wouldn't have believed it, I can tell you. But I remember one day Donna called me at work. And normally that meant something bad was happening at home. She said, I don't know what you're doing, but if you're not doing anything, you get home right now. And I said, yes, ma'am. I got home and all four of our kids were like this. She said, they have been wearing me out all day long. I have spanked them. I have sent them to their rooms. I have grounded them. I have done everything I know to do. They're all yours. <laughs> I wash my hands of them. They're all yours. Well, when they were all mine, they knew, they knew something was about to happen. If they heard those loops coming out of the belt, I know that freaks some of you out. But you know, I looked at them and I could tell that they were, they were either genuinely sorry or they were faking it so good. <laughs> and I said, you go in there right now and you tell your mother that you're sorry and you tell her that you'll straighten up and I'm telling you if you don't, it's going to be the worst day of your life. You get in there right now and tell her. And daddies, you need to support your wives. You need to support your wife. Don't you? Look at me. All of you out there, if your parents don't ever let your child become, come between you and your spouse. Your spouse comes first, not your children. You're a married person before you're a parent. All right? And so I said, you get in there, and I mean, you do it right. And they went, Mom, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I won't ever do that again. You know, ever, ever, ever do that again. You know, all that stuff. But they were, they were pouring out there, and, and Donna said, That's, I forgive you, I forgive you. They came back to me wondering what was about to happen. I said, you get in the car and let's go to Dairy Queen right now. <laughs> Woo! We got us a blizzard, Amen. Woo, I wish I had one right now. One of y'all go get me a blizzard right there. Right. I don't, don't do it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't need it. Don't want it. <laughs> Aren't you glad when God forgives you? If I being evil know how to give good gifts to my children, how much more shall our heavenly father give what is good to us if we'll just repent? Christian, your sins, and my sins, they deserve punishment. But aren't you glad that God gives us loving kindness, goodness, compassion, 
abundance. And in all of our afflictions, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved us. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed us. He lifted us. He carried us all the days of old. And if you don't have a God like that, I do, and I would like you to know the only one true and living God, and that is the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do you get to know him? First of all, you repent of your sins. You say, God, forgive me for my sins. I'm so sorry. I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. I repent. I can't promise I'll never sin again, but I don't want to. I repent of my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. And I believe that Jesus died as an atoning sacrifice on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. I believe that my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. He was buried and I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I repent and I believe and I receive you, Lord. I call on your name. Save me right now, Lord Jesus. And the moment you repent, believe and receive, you become a child of the living God. Amen. Let's give God praise one time. Amen. Oh, he delights. He delights in our obedience. I'm glad you like that because this last point's tough. God the Father knows best. I don't care what Hollywood says. He destroys our enemies. He delights in our obedience. But after he forgives us, and we are like a dog who returns to its vomit, that's Scripture, we are fools who repeat our folly. That's Scripture. God the Father knows best, and He disciplines us in our rebellion. When we rebel against God, even God's children will be disciplined. Let's just read through verses 10 and following. Verse 10, but they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. They grieved the Holy Spirit. They rebelled against the Holy Spirit. The first rebel was the devil. He rebelled against God. Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. They grieved. They rebelled and grieved God's Spirit. That's what sin does. Verse 10, therefore he turned himself to become their enemy. He fought against them. Then his people, verse 11, remembered the days of old of Moses. Verse 11 goes on, where is he? Where is God who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? We want God to forgive us. Where is he? We've messed up. Verse 11, where is he who put his Holy Spirit in the midst of them? Verse 12, who caused his glorious arm to go to on at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, verse 13, who led them through the depths like the horse in the wilderness. They did not stumble, verse 14, and as the cattle which go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. Then God's people beg him to forgive them. 
Look at verse 15. Look down from heaven. See your holy and glorious habitation. Where are your zeal and your mighty deeds, the stirrings of your heart and your compassion and are restrained toward me? Then Isaiah cried out to God for mercy on his rebellious people. Verse 16, for you are our God. You are our father through Abraham, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not recognize us. You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from of old is your name. Why, O Lord, do you cause us to stray from your ways and harden your heart from fearing you? Have you ever felt like God just turned his back on you? That's what they're feeling right now. Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people possessed your sanctuary for a little while. Our adversaries have trodden it down. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who were called by your name. He disciplines Israel's rebellion. Sometimes it's hard for us to look at that But when I read the story of the prodigal son, I see a very wise father who disciplined a rebellious son in a way that I probably would not have thought of. He let him have his wish, his sinful, wretched, selfish wish. You know what happened? His son came to him. He said, uh, he was a son, he was the youngest son. Like Jacob, he wasn't going to get most of the inheritance. He said, I want my part now. I can imagine me going up to Edgar Gaines and saying, "Uh, Dad, I don't want to wait till you die. I want what I got coming right now. He said, oh, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming now. (laughs) But the father was so wise He knew that the boy needed to taste life where he wasn't pampered. And he gave him what he asked for and he let him go. And you know what happened? He wasted it all on loose and riotous living, the Bible says. And he ran out of money. And when he did, he ran out of friends. Anybody ever had a friend like that? I have, yeah. Can't do anything for them. They hit the road. And he is reduced. He's a Jewish boy reduced to feeding the pigs. Have you ever been around a pig? I'm not talking about sausage and bacon. I'm talking about a pig (laughs) before they become sausage and bacon. They're nasty. That's the best word for a pig. They're nasty. They're good after... You cook them, but they're nasty before you do, I'm telling you. And so he's feeding the swine, and he comes to his senses. And all of a sudden, he says, I I was doing better when I was at home with my father. I think I'll go back and say, I'm not worthy to be your son. Just let me be a slave, because all of his slaves eat well. I'm so hungry. I've got to go back to my father. He goes back, and guess what? The father's looking for him. He sees him coming. He runs to him. He embraces him. He kisses him, and he blesses him. Beautiful verbs of salvation. 
And I'm telling you, if the Lord, if the Lord will be good enough for you, to you, to discipline you so that you would repent today, you ought to get down on your face and give him glory and praise. Our God disciplines our rebellion. The Bible says this, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. It's one of some of the greatest verses on discipline in the whole Bible. Read this with me. Let's read it off the screen. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. If God didn't love you, he would let you do whatever you want to do. But God loves you too much to let you do that. He loves you enough. He's going to spank you once in a while. And you ought to get down on your face and say, thank you, Heavenly Father, that you love me enough not to allow me to go my crooked way. You, the Lord, if you reprove me, it's like a father correcting his son in whom he delights. Oh, praise his name. He disciplines our rebellion. Well, our culture doesn't like biblical fatherhood at all. Doesn't like biblical masculinity. But we don't want to please the culture anyway, do we? We want to please the Lord. I'd rather please Christ than our culture. And I'd rather take to our culture a gospel that can change their lives not a gospel so-called that accommodates their sin. We need a gospel that lifts high a Savior who can forgive sin, not one who agrees with sin. So what does our Father know? He knows best. He destroys our enemies. If you've got somebody coming after you, just give them to God. That's all you have to do. You don't have to fight anybody. Take your gloves off, get on your knees, and pray, and just give them to the Lord. I hand them over to you, Father. I give them to you. And he will take care of it. If they don't repent, he'll take care of it. He destroys our enemies, and then he delights in our obedience. When you're doing right, it's good, isn't it? Reading the Bible's good. Praying's good. Coming to church is good. It's all good when you're doing right. But there's one more thing. You mess up and you don't fess up, and you don't repent. If you repent, he will relent. If you don't repent, he will discipline your rebellion. It's easy to figure out God in that situation. He loves you too much to let you continue in your rebellion. Let's learn to obey our heavenly Father. Say that with me. Let's learn to obey our heavenly Father. Can we give him praise right now? Give him praise right now. Amen.